0: A quick intro notice. This interview was recorded a couple of months ago now, and to my shame, life and the daunting prospect of editing three hours of raw audio down to something less than half that uh, delayed me from posting this in a more contemporaneous manner. Uh, Since this was recorded, Escape Pod, CY's fourth game, has been released, which you should absolutely check out. Uh, I'd like to apologize to CY for the delay and give a massive thank you to him for the the time he spent in the interview you are about to hear. Uh, I hope you find this as fascinating as I did. So yeah, uh, this is Kanan Rince and uh, I'm James Carter, and I'm joined by uh, Cy Reed. Uh, you may know him as Failnot on Twitter, and uh, you may have heard of and played some of his games. We're going to talk about them, and we are going to see if we can pick through Cy's uh, mind and see what makes him tick and what made him make the jump into into creating games rather than uh, consuming games. Good evening, Cy. Hi. Hi there. For anyone who doesn't know you, uh, you are a a, a writer um, by by day. I suppose is the best way to put that. Mm -hmm. How long have you been uh, have you been employed as a writer?
1: Um, Full time. I've been working as I work as a copywriter at a marketing agency, and I've been doing that for just under three years now. about three years next month. Mm
0: Um, and as far as your writing that I know of, uh, I I know you from uh, from your your blog and also from Gamers with Jobs. Uh, you've been writing there for uh, that must be not a not dissimilar period of time.
1: Um, I think it was. I started writing for them quite a while ago, um, yeah. and then I stopped for ages, right. and then I started again um, yeah. more recently. But since right. then, yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty constant.
0: And that's kind of how this uh, certainly the. Aside from Twitter, it's kind of how I first heard about your your game jam that you were going to be uh, making your first game for a month, <laughs> yeah. and because it it was a series of I think four or five articles you you wrote. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, for me, it was um, <laughs> somewhat disappointingly. The reason I chose to do the series of articles was I knew that Games with Jobs has quite a big uh, readership. Yeah. So I asked uh, Eric Hansen uh, the editor if I could write a series of articles and my thought process was that I have a habit of starting projects and never finishing them um, I have you know unfinished novels and other attempts and stencil that didn't go very far mm. uh, so I thought if I sign up and do a series of articles every week I can't just do the first week and then come back mm. the second week and go on hi guys absolutely nothing has happened. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's it. So, um it kept me motivated, but it also meant that every single week I was making significant progress because I wanted to have something to talk about. I think after that, I mean on on projects I worked on afterwards, it was kind of self-motivating. Yeah. But that first step was it was a weird process. Um <laughs> there's a uh, Two journalists, people probably have heard of, um, Scott Nichols, who mainly writes over at Digital Spy, and Ashton Reyes, uh, who writes over at The Telegraph, uh, were having a conversation on Twitter, and, and they were talking about uh, games criticism and how games critics don't really make games, and wouldn't it be fun if they did, uh, and they could do it over a month, and I thought, this sounds fantastic. So I was getting off the bus, and I'm reading this conversation, I'm like, all right. So I type in the tweet, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm in so excellent and you know i had a a friend of mine help me make a logo and we got it all set up and i wrote the first article and within a week i realized that out of everybody that was enthusiastic i was the only one that was still going (laughs) 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 um yeah i think there was one other person that sort of did about half of it um and then stopped and then i once i realized it was just me it was quite hard but
0: yeah
1: yeah so it was that series of articles that made me finish I think.
0: yeah absolutely it must must have made it all the more special to have got to the end of that and know that no you'd stuck with it you'd got something that you could point to yeah f- for, forever now you know <laughs> Yeah. Point was... point friends, family and whoever else to and say this is what I did
1: mm, it was it was satisfying I mean I think one of the reasons I ended up being the last person was a lot of the people that said they were going to do it are freelancers mm. um, and my schedule is nine to five yeah. Um theirs isn't um they might find themselves working all the way through the night, so I think it was a lot more difficult for a lot of them than mm. it was for me um yeah. but still yeah it's it's very much like um Nanorimo in the sense that mm. I would come home from work for a month and in the evenings I would just sit in front of my computer and I would go out go at it for however long, except the yeah. difference here was that there was just so much to do. Um, the originally it was supposed to be 10 levels and then it became five because I realized I wasn't going to get everything done in time. And oh man, it just gives you such an appreciation for like the sheer amount of work some people get done, um, yeah. on games in the, in the same space of time and the level of skill that <laughs> it takes.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if, if it might just be worth spending a couple of minutes t- you talking about your history with games. Um, yeah, sure, you know,
1: um. Mine was fairly straightforward, I think. Uh, I played, oh god, I think I started off playing Crystal Caves, which is back in, back in the day when, when games came on floppy disks. Um, it, it really hurts me to know that there are gamers out there that don't even know what floppy disk is, <laughs> weren't alive when those were in use. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling older now, Um, (laughs) but I started out with that, and um, a few other sort of basic games, like there was a sort of Doom wolfenstein clone set in an office building that I've been trying to track down for ages, and for the life of me never will, Mm -hmm. Um, but I started off with those, and then I got a uh, a SNES, um, which came with Super Mario Um, All-Stars, so that was my first console, and that had a massive impact. And turned me into a lifelong Nintendo person. <laughs> um and then when I was a little bit older, uh, I was at a friend's house, I must have been, I don't know, uh seven, eight, maybe nine. <laughs> and um my mum came to pick me up and she said, You should come home, you know, your dad's got your your dad's got a surprise for you and I came home and it turned out that he had uh he had gone to McDonald's and there was a competition to win PlayStation's, and these were when PlayStation's first came out. So he'd mm. use his left hand and filled it out in what looked like child's handwriting, <laughs> and um, answered the question. I think it was like who's a basketball player, Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson. I think it was because it was around the time of Space Jam. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, feeling really off. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got my PlayStation, and I taught, moved through the consoles. I, I, as as you probably know, I because Jason had a really big go at me about it on our podcast, (laughs) I I skipped the PS2. I went from PlayStation to to GameCube to owning everything now. I think I skipped a lot of Sony stuff. I didn't have a PS2 or a PSP, but I played a lot of quite a variety of games. Um, I didn't ever have a favourite genre. The only genre I really struggled with growing up and even now is RPGs of sort of... Mm. I love RPGs. I love everything about RPGs. I just suck at
0: RPGs. <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, I mean, I had I think significant points, significant games that I played. Uh, SSX three, I played religiously, um, just because I think um, I think it did a lot for me mentally. It was nice to zone out and to be able to just go down an entire mountain, um, which yeah. took you know however long, about half an hour. And just to be able to kind of switch off and there were no objectives and I could just enjoy the music and Animal Crossing was much the same. So I think a lot of the games that had a big impact on me were ones where I didn't feel like I was under any pressure, which mm. is probably the reason that I like games now like uh, Proteus, is yeah. because I can just kind of explore and and indulge my own curiosities without the fear of combat or death or fail states and, and things like that. Yeah. So. I think that's yeah. I would I would say that's uh, that's a rough gist. I mean, I play. I went through all the different phases. I did the Pokemon thing, and I was obsessive Nintendo fanatic up until the Wii came, and then me and Nintendo started to get along a little less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the Wii U appeared, and I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm undecided, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's basically my my gaming yeah. upbringing, really.
0: Yeah. Uh- so at what point through that history with with playing video games would you say that it first occurred to you that maybe you were the sort of person who could make a video game?
1: Um, I think I was 12 and <laughs> um, when I was at school we had, I don't know if you did this, but we had exercise books but yeah. we also had these books called rough books and yeah. they were made out of like lower quality paper yeah. um, and we, we used to nick them out of the cupboard and what we would do is we would take one and we would open it up and we grab a pen and we would sit together um with our books and we would design games um <laughs> we would come up with characters and worlds and mechanics and how everything would work and you know we were never going to make any of this stuff um <laughs> i think deep down we must have known that but we were 12 right so you know yeah no, logically absolutely. we're also incredibly stupid and immature <laughs> so it's like that thing of it was just this unbridled enthusiasm for it um and then I would keep doing that as I got older, um, mm. and I would sort of constantly think about the sort of games that I wanted to play. I, th- I, th- I think that's basically the end objective of, I wouldn't say every designer, but probably a lot of designers and myself, is that you you're always going to want to make the games that you want to play. There's always going to yeah. be a game in your head, and I think this goes for anyone that plays video games. There's always one concept in your head of of a game that merges everything you want exactly the way you want it done. I think the tricky thing is, for me especially at the moment, kind of trying to learn how to balance and what to prioritise between making the game I want to make and making stuff that people are going to enjoy. Mm. It's sort of this weird, um, like my design process, I always have a voice in the back of my head that's just sort of like, you know, but are people going to enjoy this thing that you're currently... Writing down, or you're currently prototyping, mm. and it's I think I think it's important because you see this a lot with indie games, uh, it doesn't really happen in AAA where there are games that are about good ideas or about important themes, but they're not actually very good games, um, yeah. Yeah. which is a big problem because that's sort of like you know writing an incredible screenplay and then, you know, shooting it with a webcam that's half towards your bedroom <laughs> wall, like there's no yeah. you know, the, the other person shouldn't, shouldn't have to put up with that and I think it's kind of to take the Edmund Macmillan route, one of the reasons that I really like making games is it's a way for me to talk to other people about how I feel without actually having to say the words, because sometimes mm. the things that I want to say are difficult or seen as' taboo in a society that doesn't really yeah. have a great relationship with mental health and things like that, so yeah, yeah. but you know if i if i if I sat down and I'd communicate my problems to you verbally outside a game, i wouldn't yeah. suddenly start talking in greek
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. so it's it's yeah.
1: important for me to kind of you know create that platform where people can mm. enjoy themselves, and if they want to there's more to it, but that's that that that's not compulsory,
0: yeah. I mean, that's what people, I guess, what uh, any sort of creator means by exercising demons, isn't it? It's yeah. not really that there's ne- necessarily anything negative that they have to get out. It's just uh, a way of releasing an emotion or a thought or an idea that perhaps they don't want to, to have to put in front of someone directly. They can do it indirectly via whichever medium they're using. So, yeah, yeah, I think that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: uh, you know, Hug Marine is a game about uh, a big butch space marine who <laughs> hugs aliens rather than yeah. shooting them in the face. That's that's literally. I mean, my original concept was I wanted it to be the Dalai Lama, just ran around hugging people. But I was really worried that that would offend. I don't know Buddhists. Sure. If, if yeah. you can offend Buddhists, I don't know if. You yeah. can. But I didn't want to sort of go down that route, so I thought I'll yeah. use a space marine, but. Um, and I've had conversations with people since, you know, about what it meant and things. Mm. And I think what's what's quite interesting, quite funny to me is that, um, you know, I personally have a lot of issues um, internally with social anxiety and, and physical contact and, and things like that. So for me, it's quite, it's sort of a way of me saying, you know, I like the idea of hugging and embracing people who are different and, and things like that, but mm. it's my way of, kind of talking about it without talking about it so it's it's interesting yeah
0: absolutely but i I love the the sort of explanation you give to the concept of it whenever you talk about hug marine you know why why did we have to be fixed in the in the notion of of it always being a a violent end that that is the feedback we get or or the act the action we take yeah Um, yeah i think
1: I think someone brought this up recently. Uh, I can't remember who it was, and I really wish I could because I think it's one of the best points I've ever heard made about a video game. And they were talking about Nathan Drake in Uncharted, yeah. and they were saying if you look at his motivation and then you know the motivations of other people like Master Chief. Like Master Chief is not having fun. Like he's he's. I, I get that some people think it's generic storyline, but for the sake of argument, you know, he's, he's trying to save the human race. And potentially a lot more than the human race. But on the other hand, you know, the reason that Nathan Drake finds himself in amongst really dangerous people with guns all the time is is because he's trying to nick stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and he's killing a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the average Uncharted run, you'll probably kill, what, the best part of like a thousand people? Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah. you 100. know, in the, in the real world... Um, there's this guy that I, I read about on and off because I'm kind of fascinated by him. I can't pronounce his name, save my life, but um, I think his name's like Simo here. He's known as the White Death. Um, right. And basically he was um, he was a sniper that fought in the Winter War, which was like a war between Finland and the Soviet Union. Mm. And he's this one guy and he would hide out in the snow in the woods and he would snipe Soviet soldiers, except yeah. he was so good at it that this one guy killed so many people at one point that they assumed there was an army in the trees so they turned <laughs> their own army around and walked away yeah. um, he killed hundreds of people but he's so rare, like yeah. it doesn't yeah. actually happen in real yeah. life and I get that games are escapism but it's sort of to the point where violence is just kind of the logical solution which is just really quite odd because there's no real balance there. Like, if you met, if, if, if we sat down at the pub and I revealed to you that, you know, yeah, I'm an investigative journalist, but I also happen to kill hundreds of people to get <laughs> the best story, you know, I wouldn't blame you if you called the police because that's psychotic behavior. And, yeah, su- absolutely. and Sully, to me, is an enabler in a lot of ways. Like, I like yes, the games yeah. as cinematic pieces, but yeah, there's, there's an undercurrent that bothers me a lot. I think the the, the important thing to remember is that, you know, video games don't desensitise people to violence in real life, but you can definitely become desensitised to violence in video games. You know, like I'm playing Dark Souls, you know, a few weeks ago and, you know, Dark Souls still has that stupid thing where you kill something and it goes ragdoll and sometimes it gets caught in your feet. Yes. And you laugh because it's, it looks you know, visually it looks ridiculous, yeah. it's comical, but if you saw that in real life, you'd be freaking out. No. It's it's just sort of that thing of... The sad thing is, like, what fascinates me about Nathan Drake is his mind. Mm. Like, he knows so much <laughs> about world yeah. history. Like, it's yeah. insane the amount of stuff he commits to memory. Mm. Um, slightly unrealistic, I think, just mainly because I don't understand how someone that should have PTSD multiple times over... <laughs> is able to smile and laugh and like, I think it's that annoying thing that gets to me about a lot of games where I think a lot of people don't always understand the definition between something being, um, you know, fantastical and something being realistic, like, like defining star Wars as unrealistic is, um, stupid in the sense that, there could be spaceships and people could figure out how to make a laser end at a certain point (laughs) somehow and build a lightsaber that stuff's not unrealistic to me what's unrealistic to me is the fact that i can hear everything they do in space like it's that that bothers me and it's those small details where it's just like you're kind of breaking my immersion because i instantly understand that as stupid and it's (laughs) the same with uncharted it's just that sort of but he shouldn't be that way so, I mean, I'm yeah. not I by no means making Hug Marine as like an anti-Nathan Drake, but it tickles me. I thought it would tickle other people. Um, what yeah. I wasn't expecting was to get responses from people who had kids right. who had watched it. I think that got to me a lot, sort of in the sense of I'd finished and it was over and I could relax and it was actually doing pretty well on Newgrounds and I was quite surprised. <laughs> and then uh, somebody said to me, in uh, I read a comment, uh, I think it was like the morning after um, that said that they, they played it in front of their son. And their son was like seven. Mm. And after they finished playing the game, their son just, you know, spontaneously turned around and and gave them a hug. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I read that. I was like, oh, that's nice. I got to work. I read it again to run to the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it was just that thing of like... Um, I thought uploading it to Newgrounds. Newgrounds is the home of like ultra violence and hentai yeah. games. Like yeah. it's not a, it's not a safe place <laughs> <laughs> for an innocent mind. But so I thought there was a fair chance that they would hate it. That they would absolutely despise the idea that yeah. i would made something that wasn't about violence. And the the response was overwhelming. Like I, I, you know, I had words with tom Fulp, the guy that founded the site mm. which was a big deal for me because yeah newgrounds was my place to go before youtube existed
0: yeah
1: and i someone i think someone uh, one of my favorites is uh, a guy played the game and then he went and hugged this uh emo girl at school <laughs> because he thinks she's hot but it was just the idea that he played this game that had nothing to it was almost like he defined her as an emo girl, which made her in some way alien to him. And then yeah, he played yeah. this game about hugging aliens, and then he got and hugged that person he defined as different. Like yeah, yeah, in a way exactly. it sort of simultaneously proved the Daily Mail right and wrong. <laughs> so it's kind of a mixed thing yeah, of like yeah you can have a good impact with games, but please don't let them find out that there's been any impact at all.
0: (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely don't let them find out that that anything you've played in the game bleeds into your real life whatsoever.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it can happen in games. I mean, like Animal Crossing is a good example. Um, Animal Crossing quite swiftly teaches you that um, if you borrow things from your friends or your neighbours, you should give them back, that doing favours for people uh, will, you know build a relationship with them and it's about doing it to make them happy you're not doing it for something in return like yeah if you're if you're older I think you can learn how to game the system like I oh yeah yeah. I would talk to people now and again but I worked out which fish was worth the most money and I just Mm. you know sat down at the beach paying off my mortgage Mm -hmm. um but for kids that's like a really big thing I think the idea of being able to go back to Hug Marine, which I'm going to be doing either this year or next year. Mm -hmm. But sort of doing it like a big Metroidvania thing. But the idea of being able to talk to kids through games is huge for me because a lot of the games I played growing up weren't really made for me, even if they weren't 18 rated. They weren't really made for my mind. And the games that were made for me were really childish and simplistic and just bad. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of making really really good games For kids
0: Yeah it's difficult isn't it because so often uh, Certainly I remember from my childhood It's so difficult to find a game That, that speaks to you Because as a, as a child it all changes so quickly mm. You know one minute um, Pokemon I guess is is the one that People sort of our age and younger will remember because it's kind of been ever present. One one day, Pokemon is just the best thing ever, and then the next day, suddenly you're over it and it's childish now. Um, and it's so difficult to find something that that can that can either hit a specific person or, or just more generally, especially at that sort of ages as, as a child, that that can hit people across different ages, which is why Nintendo have succeeded as much as as they've succeeded because yeah. they found they found those sort of evergreen games that that really speak to people of all different ages and have a nostalgia value for for when they get older as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, Nintendo is a fantastic example. You're totally right because, I mean, for Link, for example, is yeah. a child most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's most obvious, to me anyway, that's most obvious via the art style of Wind Waker. It's that mm-hmm. thing of yeah. he's so obviously a little boy Um, And he goes up against so much, but there's kind of a maturity that develops in him as he goes on. And that would speak volumes to kids, you know, if it wasn't such a difficult game in places. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. But it is that thing of kind of, you know, working around it. I mean, Nintendo's biggest mascot, like one of the biggest uh, figureheads in video games, characters-wise, is a fat Italian middle-aged plumber with a moustache. Like, if you stand back and look at that objectively, like, if you weren't into games and you saw Mario, you would be like, this is your biggest hero. But it says yeah, a lot yeah, about Nintendo yeah. because that's just... I mean, admittedly, the, the hat and the moustache were because, you know, back in the days...
0: Um, you, you, of, yeah, you needed yeah. something that was exaggerated to try and to give the a, a tiny little you know s- series of pixels on a screen some th- sort of character yeah. I mean yeah. for,
1: well for them it was a graphical work around which I thought yeah. was quite funny because mm-hmm. it was like you know they didn't want to animate his hair or deal with his mouth yeah. so the logical thing was to give him a moustache and a hat up. Yeah. but it's just that sort of th- thinking about you know things that appeal to everybody like Proteus is a great example of something that I think yeah. would just appeal to anyone of any age yeah, yeah. um because there's no threat but I think there are there are concepts that I that I like in uh, in games that I would like to see made more accessible mechanically to younger people um I think a lot of the reasons that I struggled with stuff like RPGs when I was younger or or the Zelda games and things was because I was still quite young Mm. um you know and and my brain was still developing and I think my age prevented me from being as good as I could have been. Whereas, yeah. you know, with like the Persona games, for example, is a great, is uh, fantastic because it's a game mm. about being at high school. Um, yeah. and you develop by socializing at high school and exploring your environment and basically being a teenager. And that's the sort of game that I would love to see teenagers playing, but there's nothing like that for little kids. Like it's all like Skylanders and stuff. And the yeah. main people I see talking about Skylanders, how much they love it is adults yes. because they have the income. And I think it's sort of this thing of it was a really awesome idea, but it's um, quite clearly such a massive money grab. So it's it's yeah. sad for the kids that probably want to engage with it more. I think in comparison to like Pokemon where you bought one yeah. cartridge and, and there's all the, oh, hundreds Pokemon of hours there. of, yeah. 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 which nowadays wouldn't happen. Nowadays, I think you would get your three-starter Pokemon, and if you wanted anything else, then it would be, it would be DLC an DLC or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't happened to Pokemon yet, but I'm, I'm not completely averse to the concept that it might. I think my only worry, um, really, when it comes to making games for kids is that um, even as a kid, there's still, like, a decent range of games, but... Um, you know you can play as uh this should sum it up fairly well. you can play as Mario, but you can't play mm-hmm. as Maria like yes. there's no um, like my my only worry is kind of what games are saying to young girls right. they' sort of um there was a, there was someone that wrote about this recently about how um their daughter loved playing Temple Run because she could play as a girl mm. um and it was you know she was young. Um, and then I think it was, they had to reinstall the app or something. It was a situation in which not everything was unlocked. Right. And then when she realized that that wasn't default and that she had to play as a, as, as a male for ages and yeah. all to unlock her gender, mm. like it was crushing. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. And it
1: it's would... that thing mm. of, you know, peaches in the castle. Um I mean, not completely. Like, what I find interesting about it is that as time's gone on and the the Mario and Luigi RPGs have done this a lot, and Paper Mario has done this quite frequently, is that they have made her more of an agent of her own freedom. She's still not completely free. There are these sort of dangerous, kind of dangerous stereotypes stereotypes they're kind of playing with. Like, she had a, I think it was a DS game, where all her special powers were her emotions. So she could cry and fill up the screen with water, etc., etc. And yeah. while that's an interesting concept, I don't think you would ever see a game where Mario was crying and filling up the screen. with Yes. Tears.
0: It's, it's the gender stereotypes that it plays to that's a yeah. concern. I
1: mean, it's, it's, it's an odd, uh, paradox because quite frequently you see that discussion of, um, oh, I'm, I'm trying to play the, uh, my, you know, my girlfriend's really annoyed because I was playing, I was playing Halo all night. Um, mm it's like, well, you know, if the industry was was maybe a little better um, and less skewed towards, you know, you and your male privilege, then <laughs> perhaps you yeah. both would have been up till 2 a.m. playing Halo. Yeah. But it, it, it's like that for all minorities. And I think that's what's great about indie games, is that um, a lot of the people that wanted to make games about themselves or make games where they feel they could identify with the protagonist and couldn't in a large company because... Yeah. The heads of marketing said it wasn't a good idea. Um, are now able to do that? I mean, you have games like um,
0: Papo and You. Perfect example. Yeah,
1: Papo and You is a great example. I mean, you yep. have which is you know alcoholism. You have dysphoria yep. by Ananthropy, which deals with um, hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there are a lot of people sort of talking about their experiences um, in games. And it's, it's happening a lot in games journalism as well now, you know, there's yeah. uh, there's been a recent sort of spate of articles uh, talking about everything from uh, coming out as gay to growing up to dealing with the death of a loved one. I think people are calling it confessional journalism, um, mm-hmm. which I think is slightly problematic because I think it kind of puts a negative spin on, on yeah. talking mm-hmm. about your problems. But... Yeah. But it's good to see, um, and it's uh, brave. It's incredible the range of games that have come out already <laughs> about, you know, everything from, you know, depression to other topics, mm. and it's just things that people wouldn't immediately. But it happens, and it, it it happens in other games as well. But I think the problem is that if you have five hundred people working on a game, like there's not really going to be anything
0: that personal. Needs a very planet. strong creative director. Yeah. Leading really, that to have their voice, yeah, it needs it needs to be a game led by an otter, and and even yeah. then, how much of their voice is going to come through, yeah. It, whereas yeah. you've got these much more personal, um, very small development teams who have one or two people involved mm. with the core idea, and yeah, you you get some really touching uh, and interesting experiences like Proteus. When yeah, um, I mean,
1: I've got a, uh, I have got I interviewed a key. Um, a, a while ago, about it um, for sort of an upcoming uh, gamers with jobs piece, mm-hmm. and um, I've I've had the pleasure of meeting him at um, if you live in if if anybody listening does live in London on on the first Monday of every month there are it's uh, it's like a big pub night for for indie <laughs> developers and um, you know I've I've seen Ed there and you know there's a huge variety of indie developers that go there but it's just that kind of Spirit that's that's really nice. Um, I didn't know the community that well, and then I started making games. I started following different people on Twitter, and um, suddenly, like the tone of my social feed changed from um, the uh, sort of typical games journalist outpouring of cynicism and hatred <laughs> to um, yeah. just ludicrous amounts of positivity and yeah. excitement and uh, community support and and things like that. So it's been. It's, it's, it's an amazing community to get into. I hope it gets more, you know, involvement. I I hope more people get involved. Like, yeah. I, I hope everybody makes games. I hope you make games. <laughs> like, it's, it's not yeah. difficult. I'm a dumbass. Um, I can't code. Like, my brain shuts down when I look at programming uh, yeah. textbooks. Uh, it doesn't work that way. But Stencil allows me to use logic in the form of blocks that then write the code for me behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And... It allows or- me to do all of the bits I do enjoy. So there's, no, there's not really any excuse these days anymore for not being able to make anything.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing we've seen with several games this generation that have allowed the player to create something themselves. kind of perfectly leads on to um, the first question that I had from uh, one of the other Canaan Rince uh, co-hosts. Uh, Darren Gargles says, what motivated you to learn the programming language needed to make these games?
1: I got uh, into a site called Code Codecademy. Okay. Um, if you've not heard of it, it's basically a completely free site that teaches HTML, CSS, uh, and JavaScript and they're looking towards teaching all the languages. And it's basically completely uh, community run. It's totally free um, and it has interactive lessons. So I, I started learning JavaScript and I learned uh, the basic concept of like an if loop, mm-hmm. or which is, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, if this happens, then this will happen, but if not, do this. So it's almost like it made it a bit simpler for me to understand. Because then I started, I, I got the concept of variables and, and things like that, and it was just a really easy, practical way to learn. Um, Stencil, I'd known about before that. Stencil is uh, based on two things. It's based on the Flash engine uh, Flixel, which was made by Adam Saltzman, the guy that made uh, Hundreds and Cannibal, and it's based on Scratch MIT, uh, who do like the jigsaw-like pieces where the code is built behind them. Okay. Um yeah. Initially, it ran in ActionScript, and it could export to Flash and uh, later on iOS. And I think as of version 3.0 later this year, possibly, um, it will export to everything. (laughs) (laughs) It will export to, I think, Android, HTML5, iOS, Flash, standalone Windows, standalone Mac. Um, So, considerable amount of... Platforms and It's very, very straightforward. And it, mm. it automates a lot of the stuff that you would find extremely difficult. So my learning process was basically, there's a very good reason why most initial indie games are platformers is that yeah. they're very simple to make. Uh, the gravity goes one way. Um, mm. The levels are quite easy to build. It's very hard to make a good level, but it's very easy to make a level. You know, Hug Marine is a, a cute game, but um, despite the controls, I mean, I I owe Sayyid Ahmed uh, credit for that because he helped me with a lot of feedback on those. But apart from the controls, which I'm really happy with,
0: yeah.
1: it's not an amazing game in itself. <laughs> but it was sort of my learning process of learning how to deal with, like, if you go through that game and, you know, feel free, it only takes like five minutes unless you die repeatedly. And if you do don't feel bad because I still do. Um, <laughs> you know, if you go through it, you'll actually notice that as the levels go on, I'm kind of experimenting with different things, like moving platforms mm-hmm. and um, uh, sort of where, where to place things and, and, and pits you can die in and lava you can die in and yeah. collision detection. And it's it's not, they make it really straightforward. Like I, if I want to put a collision box that is, uh, polygonal I can actually just set the coordinates or drag out the shape and you know it's all extremely visual um dropping in animations is you know visually done setting collision um setting gravity is as easy as typing a number into a box and hitting the enter key so it's in a lot of ways it's like game maker but it's actually a the interface is a lot better and more straightforward so my process was doing that and then trying to do stuff that I couldn't, so like, you know, best part of a year ago when I was working on Hug Marine, I could barely do collision, Mm. and now um, I have stopped looking on StencilForge, which is like the sort of open source, um, it's like people can upload the stuff that that they make for other people to use, Um, and it could be anything from like a behaviour to a sprite to... Uh, you know, the way your score system or health system works. I used to get stuff from there because I couldn't understand how to do it. But now I'm at the point where I will actually just make it myself um, because I understand what I have to do. And then the process Mm -hmm. of getting there is trial and error. So, I mean, if it's something that you're looking into, then then go for it by all means. But don't be discouraged if you spend 90% of your time Trying to figure out why something keeps falling through the floor, because that's literally what development is like. Yeah. It's just problem solving. So yeah, it's just basically you know I'm at point A with no game, and point B is game, and how do I solve all the problems that lead to that yeah. point? So it's yeah, it's stencil is. I'm a I'm a big evangelist, <laughs> 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 if at all. It's very scary. I mean, uh, the whole concept is you know you can prototype really quickly. Uh, I had a conversation a while back on TYNJ um, with Lamb Beer and um, who make you know Super Crate Box and um, you know Gun Gods and things like that. And um, Jan was talking about the was talking about Game Maker and how he loves the fact that he can just have an idea for something and then yeah. you know within an hour or whatever he he's got like a working basic version of that. And then if that works, then he can. And it does work for some stuff. For some stuff, it's really daunting. Like I'm making a, a single-screen game in which it's like a Metroidvania, Metroidvania, but without the unlocks. So you've got like this huge screen, and it's all. It's not like Metroid Fusion, for example, where there are different scenes for every room. It's one massive map, and when you've got a map that's thousands of tiles by hundreds of tiles, like it's really daunting because that is the blank page. Like
0: yeah, yeah. for
1: me, that's been the really hard part. Is that you like if you're just even with platformers. Like if you're just playing Crash Bandicoot, you know you're playing through the level. You never really appreciate how good a lot of that design is. Um, if you if you if you're curious about level design, I think the best one of the smartest series of thoughts about uh, level design I've ever heard was Edmund McMillan talking about Super Meat Boy and how he taught people the controls through the le- the way the level was yep. designed. And, and that's basically it, is that you can create random platforms and areas and things in your game for people to look at and stuff, but it's sort of like writing a book. Like, if every if you've written an entire scene in your novel um, and nothing has happened, there's no progression, the reader hasn't learnt anything new, um, there's no point in it being there. You're just wasting their time. So it's it's sort of learning to constantly keep the person playing your game stimulated. Which is difficult because you always overcompensate. Because I'll build something and I'll play it a hundred times.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it's boring for me at that point because I know where everything happens. But then, like at Indie Game The Meetup, you know, I had two laptops in front of God knows how many people and they sat down and played the games. And, you know, the faces filled with wonder and they're like, oh, I wonder what's over here. I wonder what's (laughs) over there. And it's really weird for you to see because you're way too immersed in it. You don't, you can't look at a puzzle you designed. Uh, in the same way as someone who
0: didn't design yeah, it someone who's coming to it fresh I think the thing that that amazes me uh, about you m- making Hug Marine was just going from zero to having a- an art style and and music and, <laughs> and, and ha- knowing where you're going with that.
1: I don't know if I had any direct influences I think for me it was the only major influence I thought I had and then a friend later told me that this wasn't the case was people keep Mm-hmm. Mentioning the fact that they like the fact that Hug Marine's arms trail behind him as he runs.
0: Um, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. And <laughs> it's...
1: the reason I did that was because when I was animating him, um, I've I'm not very good at it, but I've played quite a bit of Super Meat Boy, and I thought his arms trail behind him as he ran. I thought that's absolutely adorable. <laughs> um, and I guess Sonics do it as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought oh, so that's great. I'll you know I'll go with that. Um, and then later found out that no, his arms don't do that at all. (laughs) But so I felt slightly more secure, but as for influences, I think it was just more kind of feeling my way around seeing what worked and what didn't like. I tried really complicated art and it wasn't, it was just too hard. Like I was aiming too high. And I think that's why a lot of people do low res pixel art when they start out is, if you're not an artist, art is fucking difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spriting is an art form. Like if you've ever seen like pixel art of a dog, and you are like, oh, that's cute. Like it is cute, but that took ages yeah. and a lot of skill because I could draw a vector image that looks really nice. It looked fantastic. But to do that with individual pixels is very, very difficult. Yeah. So what I did was I got my graphics and I scaled them up four times, which is why everything looks so blocky. And I found that being able to work with cubes that were tiles that were like 8 pixels by 8 pixels when I was spraying them just made it a lot easier. In terms of music, I used Pixie Tracker, which is literally like Fruity Loops for 8-bit, except it's even more simple. You, it's free for every platform you can think of. I, I composed the music for Hug Marine mostly on my iPad. People seemed to really like it. I thought it was... Yeah. I made it all in, like... I made most of it in about half an hour. (laughs) Um, It was really sort of near the end of of the process. I think it was, like, the the last thing or one of the last things I did. But most of it was just kind of me finding my... feeling my way around, really, and, and, and learning how to do things. And I think as time went on, like, I did Grindstar after that, and, you know, the graphics got... I, I only scaled them up twice that time. Right. And then it was just that sort of thing of... I'm scaling stuff up less and less now because I'm sort of able to do stuff that looks better. But it's, it's learning... There's like an art form to learning how to do stuff in low res. Like, Sword and Sorcery is super low resolution, but it's yeah. beautifully animated. And it's like, it's not so much... It's not just the art that makes it look so good, it's how smoothly those pixels move because if someone's arm is five pixels long and you can actually show smooth movement in a 25 pixel square where the arm can swing, like that's an incredible achievement. Mm. Um, I don't know why I'm actually swinging my arm around in my (laughs) room by myself as I'm saying this, but, but yeah, that's, so it was basically that it was just kind of, you know, I was kind of inspired by super meat boy. I I really love that game and sort of, yeah, the, I didn't quite get the speed, I think mine's a lot more careful and slow, um, but I just think, I I would say, yeah, if there was any game I was really inspired by, it was, it was definitely that.
0: Mm-hmm. You've got, as you've as you previously mentioned, a lava level in there, with obviously, it's, it's lava and pits, and you're jumping over the yeah. lava, and there's also an underwater level, yeah. now... <laughs> I know there's something different about the physics in that level but I don't is. know exactly what it, I think it's just falling slower but I'm not entirely sure so how do you go about when you've got presumably the level designed uh-huh. um and then it's a case of going in and tweaking the the gravity until you're happy with it I guess is it's, that It's essentially that, that I mean um
1: right. The idea was I wanted different levels because that's how I was raised. Like, I was raised in an era of platformers where there was an underwater level, and a lava level, and a space level, level
0: and a food level. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It was like
1: that was how games worked. Like, (laughs) so I think for that, what I did was I there's a completely different version of Hug Marine. Um, I duplicated the actor, and what I did, as far as I can tell is that I think I made him heavier and I increased the gravity. Because if you just increase the gravity, all that happens is he'll jump with the same force and he'll move at the same speed, uh, left and right, but he will fall really fast. Um, Whereas if you increase his weight as well as the gravity, you begin to get that sort of sluggish kind of movement. Um, It has its advantages and disadvantages. I think the mistake I made there was even though I tested it, I think if I could go back and do that again, I would probably, well, A allow him to actually swim but B, probably design the levels slightly more geared towards how heavy he was rather than doing something that was very similar uh, to the other levels but just you were heavier. But yeah, that was how that that came about.
0: No, I I think it's great because when you put a space marine, he's, he's I say he, I think the, the fantastic thing about having a character in like a suit. Hug Marine in a suit is, as Sam has proved, could be anyone under there. Um, but uh, Hug Hug Marine's in the suit and that suit underwater looks like a diving suit. So mm. why wouldn't the character be weighted down and having to sort of bounce around yes. as if? as if they were almost on space and, and gravity had been lowered, because that's kind of the effect of the, the buoyancy in water, isn't it? So Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, so
1: yeah. I I did take a massive dig at free-to-play games in that level, which is why there's a massive sunken ship at the end of it that's called the HMS Freemium. Yes. Um, yeah. That's kind of my hope for the future, is that that goes the fuck away. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> that, that lies rusting at the yeah, bottom of the lake somewhere, yeah. Before it kills the entire industry. <laughs>
1: um but yeah, it's um, it, was, it was it was interesting making kind of different levels and, and, and trying to vary it. Most people didn't really understand what the last level was. It was meant to be like the inside of a giant monster and are these giant white beams and I would watch Let's Plays on YouTube. And this is what <laughs> amazes me still is that there are Let's Play videos of this <laughs> on YouTube. And not like one, but there's like eight of them. So the giant white beams, are they ribs then? They are ribs. Ah, but okay. someone saw them during a Let's Play video and they just freaked the fuck out they were like what are those like you know, well, know my where
0: my first thought was if i touch that i'm going to die but how yeah, do i get past they look it so like i'm giant just going through go, beams yeah, i got yeah. back and i'm just like oh fuck
1: <laughs> 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 i should have i should have made them translucent or something um yeah. so they were less scary um, well,
0: I, I think i think once you realize you have to run through it you you cuz there's no jumping around it then you you go for it and as soon as you've you've run past it you realize oh yeah it was it's, just one of those something in the of, foreground but yeah it's fine
1: you you learn i think kind of slowly what what works and what doesn't like the early Mario games I think was it Mario was it, maybe Mickey Mouse on the SNES had some really interesting kind of parallax scrolling stuff in the background and the foreground and Mm. it was kind of always very clear where stuff was so it's just sort of a if it's taught me one thing about game design it's that if someone playing your game doesn't understand what to do at any point that is your fault, that will never be their fault like, it doesn't matter how, many, how much experience with games they have. If they sit down and start playing your game and they don't understand what to do, that's, that's on you. It's a tricky balance. I think the problem is it's the same as designing puzzles. Like I wasn't until quite late in development I put the controls in. Because uh, I wasn't going to put them in until last, but I kept showing it to people and they were like, how do I move? <laughs> that happened with Grindstar, actually. I mean, it's, yep. it's a game, essentially, where you're supposed to click on a big sign. But nobody yeah. knew you were supposed to click on it. Everyone was expecting buttons. And um, mm. I should have just written at the top of the description on Newgrounds in all caps click on the bit that says grind.
0: But or just now I was saying click here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? And a load of people didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but that was that was my fault. And that was something that I, you know, sort of, yeah, I, I learned from that. Um I think that was probably my smoothest development experience. I mean, that whole thing was done in like 14 hours. Um,
0: yeah. So, so that was for um, Fuck This Jam. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I want to say it was around October time, but I might be wrong. It might have been earlier than that. I think it was. Was it yeah. December?
1: Oh. I think it was It was late last year. Because
0: um, cause December was Failstone too. so I'm assuming uh, I, can, yeah, uh, I think Rainstar right. was finished before that. So Yeah, I think um, it was October. I think it was... I was
1: working on a co-op platformer um, that I've still got on a back burner, which is, um, <laughs> if you're just starting out on games design, don't start out on a project that has 50 levels and they're all co-op platformer puzzles, because you will destroy your ability to yeah. get out of bed in the morning. It's just horrible. <laughs> so the jam came up and they were like, make a game about something you dislike." Ironically, I really, well, hypocritically more, more so, I mean, I, I really like grinding in, in RPGs sometimes. But when it gets really monotonous, it's just ridiculous, and some people kind of some designers I think really kind of take the piss um, with it. Mm-hmm. so I mean Nino Cooney is a good example where I realized that I was gonna to have to grind to actually kill a certain boss from a certain point onwards, and it just sort of it ruined the game slightly for me, but only because mm-hmm. it was just like to set a story at such a high pace where everything is really urgent and you've really got to save your your mother and and all of this stuff. And then to be like, whoa, 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 but you've got to kill 50 rats first is just ridiculous. Yeah. So it was just <laughs> yeah. clicking on a button.
0: I mean, yeah, so Grindstar in its very name, it's clearly all about RPGs and grinding. As you said, it's mechanically simpler than Hug Marine. What you've got is, is obviously you've got your character on the left hand side of the screen, and then you've got the boss on the, the right hand side of the screen. And as the name suggests, you have to grind your level up in order to be able to beat the boss. And the first level you have to be is level 10. Yep. Uh, and so you click on the level up part of the screen 10 times and then can click on the boss and and kill it. So it's mechanically much, much simpler. But I, I wondered, because obviously it's not just RPGs. MMOs, although those are technically RPGs, uh, and, and Facebook games have kind of brought about this... Some would call it honing, but perhaps we more accurately, reduction of gaming just down to this kind of positive feedback loop. And so the game starts out levelling up ten times. I'm interested to know how you decided the progression of levels to beat the various bosses.
1: Um, I think I just kind of had to pick the right intervals. I mean, yeah. I think you're still, you're, as far as I'm aware, you're still the record holder for that. <laughs> <Thank> um, <you. laughs> for those that don't know James... Manually got to level 10,000. Um, I can't even begin to... I think I stuck it up on the Fuck This Jam CMS and I think within like three minutes, uh, Rami of Lambeer was like, right, I'm at level 1,000.
0: <laughs> <I was like, laughs> that's the friends. thing, getting, getting to a level 1,000, actually you think, oh yeah, I could do this. At one point I actually thought, I could do a million. Some, no, I, I that, could, I, I worked out the maths on it quickly and I, I, saw I thought that I in could person do a million it would else. take me like 20 hours or something but I could do a million and then you'd stop and you think
1: yeah, I had that with someone in person I showed them the game and they were like right, I'm going to go to a thousand I'm like are you sure? Like, there's a cheat <laughs> from a certain level onwards that will take you to one level before the level you need to be Yeah. Um, and they were just like no <laughs> like <put out laughs> a hand. they were like I need to do this so I mean, that, the that levels
0: are um, uh, 10, 25?
1: I think it's 10, 25, 50, 100, 250, 1,000, and then a million. Um, yeah, yeah it sounds right. The idea is like, um, and the last boss, I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say spoilers about something I made, but um, spoilers is 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 <laughs> uh, an RPG designer. Yeah. And uh, I think the point of that was just, I guess kind of ultimately that's who you're trying to beat. Cause they're kind of the person that's put all these obstacles in your way, and it's just, yeah, they're
0: setting the bar, and they're they're yeah.
1: yeah. Sometimes it scales, and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, Nino Kuni, I think, has this problem of it scales very, very well in the early stages, even though the combat is fairly robust. So you do need to think and and things like that. Yeah. And then the boss fights are massive spikes, but the spikes grow higher every single time, difficulty wise, to the point where I think I was at the top of a. Uh, without ruining the game I was I was I was up in a dangerous place and I was probably about best part of 10 hours in and I right. went up against a boss that was just so ludicrously difficult and right. I discovered that it wasn't because my tactics were wrong because I mm. think I'd ended up looking up the tactics um it wasn't that the tactics were wrong it wasn't that I was bad it was simply because my numbers weren't high enough yeah and that to me just feels stupid because to me, that's like a disconnect between the world of the game and then the way the mechanics are working. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand experience for, like, if I use a sword on an enemy and I gain more experience in using swords, that's how it works in real life. Like, that's mm. that makes sense to me. But, yeah, just it was just the idea of you have to get to this stupid level and you're not actually learning anything new. I mean, even World of Warcraft, as you level up, it will teach you new... Skills and it, you know, the enemies are roughly the same. You could probably kill an enemy at level a hundred in the average MMORPG with the same two abilities you started with at level one. But at least it gives you something. Whereas sometimes there's just no, yeah, there's no, there's no sort of positive feedback loop.
0: It's just what what I loved about the uh, the final boss was that it's kind of like that moment in um, in a cartoon when it pulls back and you see the animator. And, yeah. and often it's just the hand and, and the um, the sort of uh, easel and, and the paper on it as they're drawing whatever the animation is. And it, it's that moment where you, you're reminded in an RPG that this isn't about how good you are at the game. This isn't about how much time you've spent already with the game. It's just about doing whatever it is, whatever random thing you need to do to be at whatever level the boss is, is set at. Yeah.
1: Sort of a Wizard yeah. of Oz yeah.
0: moment, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely pulling back the curtain. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think there's there's a scene after that where the the protagonist is just uh, ironically, I needed a name for him, and he ended up as Sir Protag because I wrote Protag as a short yeah. name yeah. for the the I, I the actor in the <laughs> Um <laughs> But he's just he's just having a shower, and that to me is something you don't see in games uh, very often is that yeah. they're always, like, tooling around from place to place. It was like the Harry Potter books. Like, he did all this stuff, and some of it was really monotonous. But he never went to the, <laughs> the toilet or took a bath. Like, okay, I think he took a bath once. Like, some of the Christmas stuff, like, he got a jumper. You never hear about these jumpers ever again. It's just, they're only mentioned once. It just becomes a tradition, so it's sort of a funny yeah. thing. But, yeah, it's just that thing of everything should have a
0: purpose, really. See, I I assumed the shower at the end was, um, was about the the player getting that dirty feeling of having to just grind through a game of the-
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I had I no idea someone that. would go down that line of thought. For me it was just the idea that after all of that he would just be really sweaty and need a shower. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I got such a kick out of it. Like for me the funniest part of that entire development process was drawing on his ass crack and <laughs> then placing him under the water like that. To me was just that was a reward yeah. for doing the whole thing. <laughs> But I just I, I just enjoyed the idea of it. I don't know if it was inspired by, or I just thought of Cow Clicker while cow I was quicker, doing yeah, that. Because yeah. Cow Clicker, again, for those that don't know, is just basically a game where you click on cows. Um, and you can actually, I think, spend money to change the look of the cow that you click on. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's yeah. it. Like, that's all that game is. But people absolutely yeah. loved it. And people absolutely loved this as well. And I've... Yeah. It's yeah, I think it was just I wanted to see um I wanted to see how many times people would click. Um mm. I gotta be honest, I wasn't expecting a thousand, let alone ten. But I think it is just that thing of it's just easier, you know? Like we lead extremely complicated lives with so mm. many variables. So it's inevitable that a game in which your one job is to click one button appeals. Because yeah. suddenly you know, your entire world tunnel visions down to just that one process. Yeah. I think it's just, um, from sort of a social perspective, it's a lot easier to come to terms with because in real life, you know, you can do stuff for people and you can take care of people and stuff. And, you know, there's not always a reward or rather, you know, I would suggest if you're doing it for a reward, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But Whereas in that, yeah, you have a number. And it's just that thing. I mean, I, I I do worry about in terms of social situations like persona, for example, you know, your motivation, um, at least for some people to to uh make friends and, and talk to people is that you will gain new uh abilities mm. um through sort of socially, you know, bonding with these people. Which, you know, is it's a good motivation to get people to talk to characters in an r p g but at the same time you're kind of you're sort of boiling down socializing with someone else into a numerical transaction like our civilization yeah. Yeah. is based at its core on uh mathematics and appreciation of higher numbers over lower ones,
0: mm. and
1: that's been the case for so long that like we can't get rid of that <laughs> like you know the idea of uh, 1 billion dollars is great but you know 2 billion dollars is even better and it's just that thing of we naturally see lower numbers as negative so it's that scale thing. I think after that I don't know I wanted to make something simpler.
0: Opportune moment to ask josh uh, joshua Garrity's question which is um <laughs> has becoming a game creator affected the way you consume and think about other people's video games yeah do you appreciate design choices you would have taken for granted previously for example
1: yeah i do um yeah. i the main difference i noticed is uh one of the reasons i was glad to get out of games journalism in a really heavy way um because you know when i was younger i i I did my work experience at IGN, and I started freelancing. I did stuff with The Escapist and things like that. that mm. You know, I had my Escapist piece go up, everything's going really well, and I was really pleased. What I noticed was that the more that I was criticizing games in my writing, the more impatient I was becoming when I was playing them. Mm. Um, I would start calling out problems by name, I would compare them to other games, and it was just, you know, it's a personal thing, but it made me quite negative. Whereas yeah. um, now I play games, and it's like... <laughs> It is ludicrous. Like I will, I will uh, move past something in Skyrim, and I'm just like, man, the collision detection on that was great. (laughs) Like I just sort of like, oh, and I'll go back, and I'll I'll, like, I'll jump on stuff, I will test things. (laughs) I will. I mean, I think some gamers do that already. I I don't think I'm the only person that's ever uh, walked in the snow on a game and then looked around to see whether your footprints stay or if they fade and how long it takes. And the same with bullets on a wall, how they'll be. Um, there will there'll probably be like an if statement where it's just like Master Chief uh, hits ten bullets into a wall, so there are ten bullet holes. If he fires an eleventh bullet, the first bullet hole disappears, and that sort yeah. of like that sort of stuff was interesting to me then. It's fascinating to me now. I think this is why I I, I said in an interview a little while ago that I think uh, people who review games would really really benefit from making a game or just at least making one that covers stuff like Collision and things, because it's, it's, it really does open up your eyes to... It's so easy to appreciate the art in a game, or mm. the controls, or the music, or the storyline, but for a lot of people, most people aren't programmers, or designers, or developers in any way, so it's, it's really difficult to appreciate stuff like Good Collision. Or, yeah, the technical um,
0: side yeah
1: yeah like consistent uh, feeling controls and and things like that and it's um it's an odd experience like I was playing Thomas was alone a little while <laughs> ago and I was I jumped on a platform and I realized that I couldn't jump off it properly there was like a serious problem I, I couldn't I eventually got past it through sort of a lot of trial and error and an incredible amount of swearing um, <laughs> but had it been back then, I just would have felt really irritated and frustrated and I wouldn't have really known, you know, what the issue was. But the, the fascinating thing about it for me was that I knew what it was instantly. Um, mm. or almost instantly because I'd had exactly the same problem with a float, with a platform that moves up and down while making hug marine. Yeah. And it was just this simple thing of, um, if your gravity, uh, it's like the gravity is one, number and the speed of the platform is another and it's like it's the way a lot of game engines interpret gravity so it's mm-hmm. like you can't um if you can't if you can only jump when you're on the ground and a platform isn't moving fast enough it's constantly you're constantly falling half the time so half the time you're not able to jump and you can't get off the platform and it's this it's this really finicky little problem and it's the tiniest thing in the world but to be able to appreciate stuff like that yeah it's just it's just had a massive impact on me, like, from my, my respect for for certain people. Like, mm. watching Indie Game the movie, like, I don't think, I think had I watched that five years ago, I would have mainly been interested in uh, Edmund McMillan in Team Meat. Now, yeah. I am, if anything, more interested in Tommy Refiners. Right. Because the ability to, by yourself, create controls that tight and create an entire level editor for someone else to use and mm. to do all of the things that he does with the problems that he faced is just, yeah, you really do get a massive appreciation for, for games in a way that you didn't before.
0: Yeah, and, and aside from having said, you know, we, we talked about the, the fact that there's a reason why a lot of people's first games are, are platformers to actually set out and... Pay homage to Super Mario Brothers from the off. You know that is the daddy, as it were. That is the you know the the big kid on the block. Mm. And and to go effectively up against to to put yourself in league with that game takes a, a massive amount of confidence in your ability to to make the game feel as good as as Super Meat Boy does. And yeah, it's it's, it's one thing to say I'm going to make a platformer because it's it's maybe. You know, a slightly easier thing to do. It's quite another to say I'm going to make a platformer and I'm going to try and make the best platformer out there because it's a bit like running the hundred meters. You know, it's it's something that most people can do and a lot of people can do quite well. But to say I'm going to go up against, you know, Usain Bolt, Usain Bolt, exactly, is is yeah. something quite different. So who uh,
1: who makes an appearance in Grindstar actually? Um, as the Minotaur is doing the Usain Bolt post <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Which one person picked up on? I, I saw comments. it in the comments. Yeah, I was, just like, I, I was
0: reading good. the comments and I thought, That's "Hang on, I'm going to scroll back up and check."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always when that one person says something. I had yeah. that a while ago where I went out for Halloween and you know I was dressed as a Joker. The person I was with was uh, dressed as uh, Harley Quinn, mm. and we went out for the night and you know we you know we had a good time and stuff. And on the way back through uh, one of the stations. This guy came up to us and we must have made his night. He was so excited. He was just like, "Oh my god, this is amazing. You're it's Harley Quinn and the Joker together and it's just that thing of like as long as like that one person says this is great, then it's yeah. the whole thing is fine." I think that's what probably the advice I try and give to Jonathan Blow if I ever had a conversation <laughs> with him is I get I get that Soldier Boy didn't quite grasp the fact that Braid was a game about your personal issues, and that's it's heartbreaking um, to watch his face as he talks about that. Um, That makes like thinking about that makes me choke up. It's horrible. At the same time, a load of people did. At the same time, like someone out there has played that game, and it. And chances are, number of people that played it. Chances are, that has touched somebody, and it's just that one person, like. Because yeah. that's all it is, like making games by yourself is is talking to people um that's the reason why we make art at all but it's, it's nice to make games that don't mean anything sometimes. I don't think that's completely possible. I don't think you could ever make something by yourself that means nothing, but it's nice to go for more arcade stuff, like Failstone was arcadey, and that was yeah, super fun
0: speaking of of making games for friends um <laughs> nice resistance who um I hope everyone listening to this would would know um, had a December month, which was yeah. um, which was all about the Dreamcast and celebrating the Dreamcast and and what it did and and its you know its life and death, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and you made uh, Fail, Failstone Two. It's technically called, isn't it? Yeah. Which is a homage to Power Stone Two. Yeah. Um, a game I haven't played, but needless to say, Failstone Two is is super easy to pick up but the first time you'd made a game that had two-player...
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 two player I'd, mode. I'd worked on two-player stuff before, but it was the right. first time I'd finished and released something okay. that was meant for two two players. So it was it was tense, because I'd play it by myself to test it, or I'd play it with other people, and it was quite fun. Mm. But when I sent it to Andy um, Hamilton, and yeah. uh, he told me that he'd sat down with Louis Proctor and they played it, and in like the small gap in between him saying that, and then like the next sentence, her saying that they'd enjoyed it. There was just this moment of just primal fear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was fun. Um, Andy was doing, yeah, Andy and and Sean and people at Midnight Resist, which is, I think mainly them. Yeah. But like you said, you know, if anyone's not listening to that podcast, Oh my God, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I th- I, I'd, I'd met them uh, briefly at a BAFTA event and um, Andy emailed me a little while later and said that they were doing the December thing and he knew that I made games and would I like to make anything. And in retrospect, having Andy Hamilton uh, come to you and say, you know, I would like you to make something was like a really big deal because yeah, yeah, th- this guy single-handedly has probably managed to double the sales of Dark Souls a year later like <laughs> when he loves a game he really champions yeah, it he,
0: yeah absolutely like
1: so so passionate and I think that's what's so great about watching him go completely apeshit every time someone accomplishes something in a game he likes on Twitter yeah so yeah I mean it wasn't a very difficult development process it's kind of like Grindstar in a way of most of the tricky bits were behind the scenes in terms of, like, like we talked about earlier, like if statements and variables yeah, and things like yep. that. But it was just because it was a game that had a really big impact on me when I was, when I was younger. Power Stone 2 was... I never owned a Dreamcast, um, which sort of meant that I was kind of stealthing my way into that month of content. But a friend of mine would bring a Dreamcast into school and you'll probably know, like, back when we went to school, like, they would have big TVs on wheels... And we, oh, yeah, yeah. we allowed one of those TVs into, uh, one, like, a hall that we had um, yeah. at school at lunchtime, and we would plug the Dreamcast in,
0: or the n Sit on top of the, the VCR that uh-huh. was sat exactly. on the TV. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Kindred spirit here.
1: Um, <laughs> and we would play Power Stone. We would also play Super yeah. Smash Bros., but Power Stone, like, was just such a great multiplayer game. Like, I mean, the whole concept around it is fascinating because it's like... Um, You can do a little, you you can do quite a lot of damage, but you have to like collect three gems. Each person starts with one, and then there's another one in the middle. And if you collect all three by knocking the other person's gem off them by damaging them, you become sort of like a super powered version of yourself, and then you can do tons of damage. Um, and bar that, it's just basically you know, it's got a basic sort of fighter health system. What I didn't realise while I was making it or sort of realised afterwards was that the way that failstone works is that you can't damage the other person until one of you collects a gem, you're both completely useless Yes. so yeah. what that resulted in was basically this mad dash to a gem and then like a huge cat and mouse chase.
0: So uh, two players start at the bottom and there's uh, I think four different levels of platforms up above yeah. uh, and somewhere in a random position a, a sword will spawn and it's a race to pick up the sword and then the player who grabs it has, it seems like it's about five seconds. Yeah, it's five
1: seconds. Yeah,
0: okay. To to attack the other player and they can knock one heart out of the five you start with off.
1: Yeah, so it's fairly straight. The, the platforms, the way that that game mm. is out, because it all takes place on that one screen. Um, yeah. The platforms were um, inspired by the, do you remember the two player uh, Mario Brothers thing on a snes yeah, yeah yeah yeah. and it was just that thing of like you had this small arena um you yeah. can run off the sides and come back on the other one which i i didn't have but it's just that you had these platforms it reminded me of joust as well it was just right. that sort yeah. of it's a very structured environment it's quite tricky to get up but you know quickly like flying down it and things can be quite enjoyable yeah so yeah it was an interesting uh sort of little project the motivation is slightly different i think when you're making it for somebody it's, it's tricky because it's sort of, you had that deadline of when December started. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of have it done by then. And it's sort of like, it's not like most games where like, it, when it's done, it's done. It's literally, you have that window. And if you go past yeah. that window, it doesn't happen again. So then, like all the work is kind of wasted at that point. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a more high pressure development environment, but it was, it was fun. It was nice to sort of take a step up from just kind of making small things for myself.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's a great game. It really is. It's like a lot of uh, a lot of games. Simplicity is is much more difficult to achieve than it seems. And from the second you start playing that uh, playing Failstone Two, you know exactly what the goal is. You know exactly what the rules are, and it's just about having fun in in that single screen environment. No, it's really excellent. I enjoy it. Enjoyed it a lot, even though I I'm I'm. Such a lonely soul that I was playing on my own It was still entertainment hey man, for everyone
1: for... plays games on their own From time to time <laughs> I, mean, I can't, Until I figure out Online multiplayer <laughs> I'm yeah, going be testing yeah. quite a bit of stuff By myself I think that was what was cool about taking Kulo 4, which is the puzzle multiplayer thing That I made To Indie Game The Meetup Was having a bunch of people play it But two people play it that Where one of them wasn't me yeah, because um, it is that awkward thing of like if I know how to do everything and how to win it's not really the same experience but yeah. seeing two random people go at it is really entertaining
0: well, and also if you're one of the people then you're kind of leading it's it's on yeah. your shoulders to make sure the other person's enjoying themselves yeah, um, whereas exactly. if it's two people it's entirely out of your hands and that's got to be uh, yeah it's yeah.
1: sort of like um, have you ever done that thing where like you show somebody your favourite movie or your favorite oh, yeah, stand-up yeah, yeah, comedian, yeah. and you'll periodically look at them. Yeah. You're just like, please laugh, and I laugh, so I can justify <laughs> my ongoing, our ongoing social engagement. I don't feel like a complete loser, <laughs> basically. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's kind of weird because Hog Marine has a little fan base, mm. um, which is kind of surreal because I made something up, and now people want T-shirts with and sequels. <laughs> yeah, and sequels, <laughs> and it's that thing of like, I think people know pretty publicly that I'm sort of aiming to have that sequel be a metroidvania and to you know the idea is you land on this big you land on this big planet and you go in there's like a you know it'd be like a, a facility with a lot of different aliens and things but the idea is to kind of subvert the traditional t- tropes so for example you know like in Metroid you can't open certain doors unless you have certain weapons whereas in this case you won't be able to open certain doors because you don't know a certain type of hug so there'll be <laughs> right. there'll, so there'll be you know bear hugs and consoling hugs and you know maybe even an awkward hug like and there'd be and it's just sort of playing around with that i think the only concept that i was really passionate about implementing was a sort of tribute to I say Tribute too. I think a lot of the time Tribute too is a very good way of saying I really like this and want to put this in my own thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Shadow of the Colossus. So yeah. there'd be like a massive, really angry alien with like an anger meter at the, bar- at the bottom and you'd latch onto him and you would just hold on really tight and just repeatedly hug one of his arms as he flails around and destroys the scenery and slowly, slowly calms down as he realises that he's <laughs> not being attacked, he's just being... Hugged, yeah, and eventually sort of calms down enough, and that's it. But so it's it's going to be pretty ambitious, but kind of it will be exciting to sort of experiment with new things and and sort of take yeah. the little fella to new places and <laughs> see who does. Excellent.
0: Yes. Um. The, the the final question from Darren Gargleton is um. He he says it's an admirable concept and kind of inspiring to see that you can go from sort of zero to making a game in a relatively short period of time and what do you wish to make next and I know you've mentioned that, well we just talked about Hug Marine sequel and you've also mentioned that you're working on a, a co-op action platformer I think is the way you described yeah, it
1: I think the main thing I'm working on at the moment is something that I'm calling, I'll probably stick with it to be honest, I'm calling Fragments and it's, it's. I haven't spoken about this yet so I get <laughs> I get to do an exclusive <laughs> um, I've only really talked about this to a few people but the The idea is that you are trapped in like a sort of giant series of caves, mm-hmm. and um, at the beginning of the game, you sort of you realise that you are full of evil. So what you do is you break yourself into a hu- uh, hundred fragments of yourself, mm-hmm. and the idea is you start out by controlling one, and you have to collect the other ninety nine. Um, right. But in order to connect the other ninety nine, you sort of you have to solve puzzles, and you have to kind of you know, you kind of interact with them in the sense that you'll approach them and they'll sort of talk about their insecurities and by solving the puzzles built around them, their insecurities become resolved and you can add them back to yourself. So it's sort of a process of destruction and reconstruction, mm. sort of taking yourself apart and, and sort of slowly putting yourself back together. So it's kind of a, a deep game in the sense that it's the first thing I've made that openly means a lot to me and has a lot of myself in it
0: sort of breaking yourself down and piecing yourself back together is very much the sort of recuperation from a trauma or you know from in terms of counseling after we've had a particularly yeah. rough time in our lives so you have to break the problem down don't you so
1: i think for me it was uh yeah it's sort of for me it's a discussion of like um kind of realising that there were a lot of things I wanted to change about myself and the the best way to do that would be to mentally strip everything back and slowly figure out Mm. what was working and what wasn't working and try and make myself into a much better person than I was Mm. as I started out. I mean obviously the temptation is to leave it at 99 fragments or have you collect 100 and then reveal that you know, there are infinite and that the process is ongoing because
0: yeah.
1: of that concept of you're never going to be done, it's just at what point do you feel comfortable with being done?
0: Mm.
1: But at yeah. the same time, I'm thankful that I'm not pitching that idea to a AAA studio um, <laughs> because I would just be showing the door. But the advantage is that I can actually make that and stick that up. And, you know, if, if, you know, if one other person out there plays that who doesn't know me and, and and sort of sits there and goes, oh wait a minute, maybe this game is about you know X. Then yeah. the whole process has been worth it because while they might not feel connected to me, I'll feel connected to that other person. Like making a game about a lot of personal problems is extremely difficult. Like a met, like extremely difficult mentally because you know you can put all you can put together the mechanics and everything else, but mm. then you get to a point where you know, you've you've then got to start dealing with actually putting the story in, the environment and creating that theme and actually making sure that's all in there. Is the point where you kinda of go through a big period of sort of like self analysis and yeah. things like that. So it's you know, it's the point where you stick on the sad acoustic music, do you know what I mean? And you kinda of <laughs> you sort of you put yourself yeah. in that place because that's the place you need to be in to work. And it might not always be the healthiest place to be in, but If you don't venture back to it in any way, then it's never going to get
0: done. Yeah, then your game won't be about what you want it to be about.
1: Or it will be, but it will be objectively, um, which is exactly the sort of disconnect which prevents people from talking about their problems, is that it's a lot easier to talk to somebody who understands something than it is to kind of lob it out there and hope they grasp the basic concept. So yeah, it will be an interesting process. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to. It. I don't know when it will come out because a yeah. hundred puzzles or ninety nine puzzles is like, <laughs> it's a big blank page. Um, <laughs> so mechanically, it'll take a while. But yeah, I, I look forward to sort of seeing you know how it goes and if yeah. I might even dare to sell it. So
0: wow. So it sounds like uh, in scope, it's uh, it's a step well above where you've been previously but it, you know the three games you've released must have given you the confidence to think you know this is the moment to yeah. to put a personal idea into a game and, and pay it its, its due because if you don't make the best game you possibly can with it then it's not it's not respectful to the the idea and the personal yeah. statement you're trying to make with it
1: exactly because you only got one shot yeah. um, you can't repeatedly make stuff about the same thing it needs to be yeah, it just it needs to be that sort of thing. But it just, yeah. um, I think stuff like that just kind of makes me fascinated about all of the indie games that have come out that don't have an obvious meaning to them. That I think mm. may have a meaning to them that the other people don't always interpret. It's a frustrating process. Like I, like is is as, as an English undergraduate that was that sort of thing. If you had to read it into everything really really closely. Mm. Um, and there's an old really funny theory I heard on the internet that says a phrase that basically says sometimes the curtains are just fucking blue like there's no <laughs> yeah. additional meaning, um, yeah. that's literally it and that's something you have to accept like sometimes the author isn't trying to say anything yeah. additionally but I think they might be, like if you look at Fez, Fez is a game with zero combat about exploration and finding and completing things, it all ha- it all happens to be a game that took a long long time to get completed was extremely yeah. ambitious and was being built by someone that was constantly having to fend off attacks I don't know if those things are connected but it's just interesting to kind of think about all of those things
0: yeah so uh I, I that covers the the three games that that you've made uh, presumably I mean it sounds like stencil is the uh, the tool for you and you're going to keep on using it and take it as far as you can
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna, I think at some point soon, gonna get around to doing a series of, you know, instructional videos to give people the idea of the basics that'll stick up on YouTube. Because I asked if anyone, you know, would be interested in it, and um, a couple of people were, so it's like, mm. it benefit someone, then, then that would be cool, because I know that yeah. some parts of it are a bit daunting. But yeah, so that's stencil is definitely well it's a tool for me it's not a tool for everyone like, i've tried other mm-hmm. stuff i have done the rounds i've tried game maker and ags and rpg maker and stuff but mm-hmm. it's just what i've grown using and therefore what i'm most comfortable with
0: yeah yeah uh, and i last question uh, i guess i have is so um you've you've now made a transition from game connoisseur to game uh maker does that mean anything for your career is it something you are going to be trying to do as a career or is, is it firmly in the hobby zone at the moment
1: it has been weird because i've noticed that when i've been in uh job interviews people mm. have started actually saying to me are you sure you wouldn't prefer to just make games for a living <laughs> <laughs> um, because by the look of it like um i don't know if they've looked it up or not i doubt it but you know it's a it's a part of my cv and it's yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, well, it's it's the thing that, it's the dream that everybody has, isn't it? It's just like that thing of you know, if I could play guitar all day and make a living, then that then that would be awesome. And it's yeah. that sort of dream that you have because I mean, I'm never going to make Minecraft, so you know, I've actually got to got to make some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, if some freak accident occurred where I made something that enabled me to make enough money to actually do that as a as as a thing that would allow me to pay the bills and that would be fantastic but if not you know it's not something that's gonna stop me from doing it like it won't get to like a point in five years where i'm not oh i still haven't made any money with stop, these things i make a
0: million therefore you're gonna give up yeah yeah but...
1: it's just it's become that thing that i do yeah it's a nice bonus. Like, it's a it's bonus hard. if it happens, but it's yeah. not
0: your driving force. So.
1: Yeah. I think my big epiphany moment was when I realized that I was getting really bored with playing games. Mm. I don't know if you've ever had that where you just get really restless. You can't settle on anything to play. Everything's yeah. sort of boring you. At the moment I opened up Stencil and started working on something, I was just... That yeah. was... I was fine. Like, I wasn't bored yeah. anymore. And I just... I would sort of realized at that point that it was just that was the thing like obviously you know you still play games because you have a passion for that medium yeah yeah. it's also healthy because you know if you're not playing anything then you're kind of eventually you're you're in a
0: bubble yeah yeah yeah. you are in a bubble which i mean
1: god knows how thick the fucking bubble peter molyneux lives in is but (laughs) um
0: that's been fascinating uh i I'd, I'd hoped that we would uh, we would get to see a little bit of the mindset of of someone who goes from from playing video games to to deciding uh one day about a year ago you know what maybe i could actually make a video game um and, and i think that's exactly what we've seen and uh it's it's been an incredible year i would uh i would guess for you yeah to to see three of your games be be given to the public and get feedback on them and have you know genuine stories of, of ways that your games have have affected people
1: yeah it's 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 made my contribution like as a living person feel slightly more significant you'll have impact yep. on the people you know and stuff but yeah. it's, uh, to be in a crowded bar standing opposite, you know, Chet Falazek of Valve, who is asking you, so how do you, you know, how do you to intend to approach monetization? Like, is a very <laughs> surreal... So I'm just sort of like, you know, this conversation shouldn't be happening this way around. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really glad I put my, my development, my, my games away by the time he arrived, uh, <laughs> because I was using a load of art, and the people in my co-op puzzler game were light blue and light orange. <laughs> so bullet dodged <laughs> but that's what made the indie community for me was realising that I wasn't just by myself trying to impress a lot of bourgeois motherfuckers that don't care it was a ton of people who couldn't be happier for me and, and what I was doing and I feel the same about any of you that are taking those
0: steps so so yeah, pick up a copy of Stencil and uh, head over to www.failnot.com or contact you on Twitter, at FailNot. Yep. And your writings, aside from on your blog, on uh, Gamers with Jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for the interview. You're welcome. It's well. been, uh, as I said, fascinating. And, yeah, can't wait to, to play Fragments. This has been CY Read with James Carter for Kanan Rinse. Thank you.